Hi, this is Adina here with today's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant, podcast show of Courage to Be Curious. So today's episode of Wonder Your Way to Brilliant is our final episode exploring the yama of truthfulness. We've been talking about some pretty heavy topics in truthfulness, but as the yamas does, it calls us to really be present with truth. And in today's episode, I want to explore this topic that Deborah Dell frames as the fluidity of truth. And I really, I'm super engaged with this topic because, you know, there are a lot of people who like things that feel black and white, right? Things, certain things are right or wrong. Things are yes or no. Things are good or bad. Things like there's a real appeal to having a certainty and being able to stay, you know what, this is something I know. I know that this is this way. I know this is the truth of the thing. I know it. And then to be able to align our actions and our life to that. What she presents us with is this notion that truth is fluid. That truth has a quality of fluidity to it as opposed to something that's purely objective or static. She also presents the idea that truthfulness comes in many different forms. Sometimes it's big and bold. Sometimes it's gentle and more subtle. Sometimes it can be filled with love. I, hopefully it's always filled with love, actually. And, and, um, but that sometimes it can generate some discomfort, but that that's an okay quality to truthfulness as well. So I want to dive in and I want to explore this. And I want to put bookended frame, a bookended frame on our exploration of it. And what that is, is the fact that truthfulness must be kind of married or in partnership with nonviolence. One way to say, to think about truthfulness is that whatever is true, you just got to say it. You just got to say it. You just got to put it out there. You got to be totally honest. You got to be totally true. And I know when people say that, I can conjure the image of the bull in the china shop, right? It doesn't matter what it is. You just plow in there and you just say it. And it doesn't really matter what gets knocked over, who gets knocked over in the meantime. And that's not what is intended by truthfulness that the marriage is between truthfulness and nonviolence and that the teaching is that it's the compassion of nonviolence that keeps truthfulness from becoming a personal weapon. That it's the compassion of nonviolence that keeps truthfulness from becoming a personal weapon. Truthfulness, on the other hand, another way of saying it, is not an excuse to go and mow people down. <laughs> It requires something more discerning than that. And so as we talk about truth and the fluidity of truth and the different ways of communicating truth, I want us to keep that in mind, that none of this is permission to go and, you know, knock people over, knock people down with our truth. That's not what this yama is about. Um, so... What does it mean that truth is fluid? Like, aren't certain things true? We take one of the most basic things. It's in the Ten Commandments. It's in a law everywhere there is. Like, you know, thou shalt not kill. Killing is wrong, right? 
You know, it seems like an easy truth. And I recently went to see a play called 74 Seconds to Judgment. And it took place in a jury room. And it was a hung jury at the time that the play begins in the case of a homicide. And the question is, was this considered like an accidental homicide or, you know, or one that was just, I'm sorry, justifiable homicide and one that was, or one that was not justifiable. Just the idea that there could be a justifiable homicide in our legal construct lets us know that nothing is certain. If killing can't be certain, then there is no such thing as a truth that is purely objective and purely static because we would have believed that not killing somebody would have been one of those, but yet we know that it's not. If we can have justifiable homicide, then there must be fluidity. There must be, you know, shades of truth to virtually everything. So I want to make my case first with that. The other aspect of the fluidity of truth is linked to the fact that things can feel and actually be very true for us in one moment, but they, that truth can change over time. I remember a time back before I had children, and it's a little bit of a righteous truth that I had, but when I would see parents in a supermarket with kids who were throwing tantrums and stuff like that, and I would say, you know, why does that parent bring their child in here and, you know, where they can't control them or the child's having a temper tantrum in the entire market or the entire theater or the entire whatever is suffering for it. I might have had judgments about the quality of parenting or the, you know, appropriateness of the choice and all of those things. And then I became a parent, and then I had a kid who would have tantrums and things like that. Not a lot, but every, there isn't a parent around who's not had a kid who had a tantrum in an inconvenient moment in an inconvenient place. And also being a working parent, I knew that I might have had one window to shop for food, and if I left that opportunity, I was not going to make it back into this market again, and it became very complicated, right? That my truth about you know, what appropriate parenting choices were before I had children became very fluid once I became a parent and saw things through a different lens or experienced something else myself. It comes up in terms of, you know, all kinds of things that we can have a feeling about, you know, the way things, whether it comes up in racial places, economic places, you know, things that go on at work, it is very easy for us to have a sense of this is the way things should be, this is the way things are, or this is what's true for me. But given more time, given more experience, given more interaction, something might change. And I think one of these that I want to talk about, I think that's come up for me recently has been, I remember a couple of years ago having lunch with a colleague and a tall African-American man, very accomplished. He was a senior person in our, you know, education system, you know, had a very accomplished professional wife. And I live in an urban environment where I like to believe that the kinds of prejudice or the kinds of, you know, fear about people of color, especially people who've reached, you know, for, well, anybody, any person of color was 
not as rampant and it has been in the past that there was a greater sense of equity and a greater sense of you know coexistence in a way and this was a truth i had told myself that this was the environment that i lived in and then we had lunch and i remember him sharing with me the fact that regardless of the fact that he goes to work every day in a suit and regardless of the fact that you know he's got his master's degree in this professional job and his wife does too when he's out on the street, he has to play by different rules, the rules that govern being a black man versus the rules that govern being a professional and that they're very different. You know, how people respond to him if he's walking on the street at nighttime and, you know, what would happen if a police officer approached him and things like that. And I had told myself this story that we were kind of beyond that or that that could never apply to a person like this. And I think I probably aligned certain aspects of my dialogue and conversation with the belief that those things were no longer true or not as true as they had been in the past. And then I sat and I had this dialogue and realized, wow, that's not the case anymore. And it was my lack of understanding, lack of experience or, in, or lack of exposure to even the dialogues of somebody it was coming from my perspective as an outsider rather than an insider. So my truth changed. My truth changed because I got more information. I think we find that all of the time. I know that when I think about like, you know, I can have a perspective on something like accounting. I would never want to be an accountant. It wouldn't be interesting to me. And I can come up with this perception of it being something that felt like a fairly you know, uninteresting thing to do. And I could say, oh, I never want to be that. It's so uninteresting. And then I go and I meet an accountant and I sit down and I talk to them and I actually find out, wow, there's something way more to this and way more fascinating than I understood before. And the way that they help really people construct and shape and understand their businesses and their lives and their finances is totally different. It has more depth than I thought. All of this is to say that our perspective on truth can change over because of time, change because of experience, change because of exposure, and that I believe there is a danger for getting married to what we think our truth is. To saying this is the truth about something and holding fast to it and letting it be our guide forever because it feels very secure to be in the knowing of the truth, I think can be a dangerous thing it can also be a thing that keeps us from growing. It can keep us from continuing to expand ourselves. It can feel secure. We like to have rules. We like to have truth. But it has a consequence for us. And I love this. Um, Deborah Dell brings forth one of the teachings from Yogi Raj Achita, Achala, where he says, what are you seeing? What are you not seeing? because you are seeing what you are seeing. What are you not seeing because you are seeing what you're seeing? What have you not even considered or explored or even thought of because we continue to look at what we're looking at, because we continue to think the way we are thinking, because we continue to expose ourselves to the same thing that we expose ourselves to over and over again. A friend and colleague of mine wrote a book called I dare me. And in it, she dared herself. It's a fabulous book. If you haven't seen it, go out and run out and get it. It's a fabulous book. I dare me. And she got 
So the concept was she dared herself to do something new for 365 days. Every single day, some of them were big things, some of them were little things. It could have been, you know, if I always drive a certain way to work, let's drive a different way to work. If I always, you know, or it could be a big thing like I've never tried, you know, acro yoga, let's go try a class. That's probably not a big thing, that's a medium thing, but you know, you can decide. And she put down 365 days of trying something new. Her perspective on life completely changed because of her willingness to expose herself and to allow herself to see what she was not seeing. So that's my invitation. To be a grower is to constantly look for what am I not seeing because I've limited myself to what I have been seeing, to try new things, and to not hold so fast to truths that we don't allow for the fact of the gray areas or of an alternative truth or of a more expanded truth of being true. So thank you for listening. As I've mentioned in the past, we are looking to expand our listenership to One of You Way to Brilliant. If you're loving this and you have a community with whom you'd like to share it, please share the Wonder Your Way to Brilliant podcast show. Send people uh, information about it, a link to it. We'd love to be doubling our listenership over the course of the next year. If you have comments, you can head on to the Facebook page, Encourage to Be Curious, to comment on the link. Um, you can always send me an email at adinaatcouragetobecurious.com. And this is the closing of our month-long journey on the Yama of Satya, truthfulness. And so join us back again in April as we continue this journey and we pursue the next Yama of non-stealing, Asteya.